this, your brain might turn to putty. But there's still a chance to learn. We'll be your study buddies. We're going to talk about some stuff and make research cool. Hi, my name is Paula Sanchez Abreu. And my name is Taylor Collins. And welcome to Study Buddies, a podcast where we bring you new developments in science and psychology. And sometimes some other stuff. Yet again, let's get to doing this thing, eh? Oh, yeah. Taylor so welcome Collins. back. <laughs> How, How was are you week? doing? Oh, How? no, we did it at the same time. <laughs> That's okay. All right. Um, we have the good energy. Well, you know what? I can tell you that my week, um, my week has been fine. I mainly just... This morning I looked in the mirror at my hair and right, I dyed my hair pink last week and now it's not looking so like so pink. It's looking more like um like burgundy, which is I'm not down with that. Like I wanted something funky and like a little punk. And this is I don't feel like this is that punk anymore. I think it has to do with like the bleach or something, like the bleach um like kind of turned my hair not blonde but like a little more orangey because I Mm. like it's hard with black hair but now like the pinkness of the bleach of the dye is starting to like wash out a little bit when I wash my hair and I think it's just changing the color I'm not not down with it oh I'm sorry to me it still looks great um I applaud you you for dyeing your hair I have very blonde hair and that is I am just terrified to put anything in it because I think once I touch the color I'll just never get it back I don't I think that's really true yeah that might be really true for blonde hair I have no idea actually Uh, yeah I also know nothing about this subject but I just (laughs) do know that I'm like paralyzed in fear for anything out of like out literally out of the box hair wise and out of the box (laughs) like conceptually Um, have you ever dyed your hair ever I get highlights, which is dying. Oh, um, okay, But they're okay, very, okay. like, mm, natural. Like, I want it to look like, oh, uh, I just was came out like this. Well, it's funny because I, when you were like, I never dyed my hair, I thought to myself, she's never, it is naturally like that. It is incredible. Like, because you have such, like, beautifully colored hair. Thank I don't you. know why. I just assumed that you needed to do something to get it like that. I do do some things. I do some some things and also some stuff. But you'll see across this uh, quarantine experience that we have how my roots uh, actually look. Are. Yeah. Um, if you had lied to me and been like, yeah, no, this is all natural, I would have thought that you were an American goddess. Like, I would have been like, this uh, woman. So I, I lied about lying then. I I am a goddess and you should begin worshipping immediately. So... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, you know what's funny, Taylor? Actually, I'll confess something to you right now. When I met you in high school, I thought oh, no. to myself... Oh, no. Oh, no. no high no, no. school confessions? This is, a, this is such a good thing. I literally was like, that is the epitome of what an American girl looks like. Wow, that's sweet. She's like blonde and has like light eyes and is just like skinny and pretty. Like that's what girls that are in like American high schools movies look like <laughs> that's nice I feel I have like such mixed feelings about being like this yeah. quote unquote like ideal American stereotype because I'm very much so like also opposed to that construct well the funny thing is then I met you and I was like oh she is so different <laughs> like tends to be what happens people think I'm really really pretty and normal until I open my mouth <laughs> For the record, I still think you're absolutely gorgeous. Just definitely not. um, You're not like the movie idyllic girl, which is a positive thing because the stereotype is not good. Stay away from the Regina George like themes in my personality, at least. It's probably pretty good for you. How was your week, dude? My week was pretty good, um, pretty standard, lots of work, but I am really pumped right now. Um, Across time, Paula knows uh, I have been doing this podcast out of this like little fort next to my bed with like an old mattress um and she's she's seen several iterations of how this has like progressed and this time I have it it's the most stable it has been so far and there's a light involved so I'm not podcasting in like the dark so I was oh I was just thinking I was like I can see you a little better this time (laughs) yes it is not like a ghost story like all of the other podcasts have been so we're growing we're learning we're changing yeah 
Oh, wow. That's wonderful. I'm so happy for your um, new innovations. Thank you. Thank you. So the, so the vacuum cleaner stand is out of the question now? Yeah. After the vacuum cleaner fell on me one time, I thought that was one time too many. Um, this is this not is, working. This is a high budget podcast, you guys. Our studio's yeah. high tech. I'm not not broadcasting on top of a box of Skinny Pop popcorn right now. Um, oh. Stand. oh, God. Skinny Pop. Skinny Pop is so good. This is not sponsored by Skinny Pop. And I skinny must pop, tell you skinny that. Skinny pop, oh, skinny, skinny pop, skinny pop, skinny pop, oh, skinny, skinny pop, skinny pop. Please give us money. We'll take it if you send it to us in any format. Um, you don't even need to give us money, honestly. If you sent us Skinny Pop, I'd be really happy. I agree. I I used to, um, and co- that was like my, my junk food in college was I would come home and me and my roommate Gail would devour each an entire bag of Skinny Pop, <laughs> like a bag well, per girl. <laughs> I still think that's a pretty like responsible drunk food. My r- drunk yeah, food fair. would be. Like, I, I don't even want to name it because I think you're going to be concerned. Like, no, it would. Now I need to know. Okay, so I have an, a really strong affinity for uh, what I. They're flavor blasted goldfish, and I call them FBGs for short because I <laughs> reference them so often, and they are my favorite. And I 100% eat a bag in one sitting every time I have them, and I have to. I like can't buy them. Like, I have to be very selective about when, because I will eat them immediately, and it's a problem. FBG. FBGs, man. Like RBG, but that's, yes. Yeah, like R- Ruth, but goldfish. <laughs> I was like, RBG, wait, those are her initials, right? <laughs> I had like a real moment there. I was worried yes. about myself. Two oh, of my man. favorite BGs. Yeah. <laughs> RBG and FBG. <laughs> oh, all right. So today we wanted to do a little segment that we call the Google Search Diaries. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> this is a segment where we tell you what we what's in our search history from Google. We we specifically are trying to highlight just one, just one, just, just one thing search. from this this past week uh, that we Googled that um, you know might be a little bit embarrassing or revealing or just entertaining because we find that looking through our Google history is highly illuminating as to who we are as people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Taylor, would you like to go first? What What have you Googled this week? Uh, yeah, so so uh, this week my um, Google search diary has um, has one entry that says, I froze pizza dough onto my freezer shelf. Um, I've, this, was a, this was actually a really big problem. Um, so when... So you can, so when you buy pizza dough, you can buy it and like you can you can freeze it and make a pizza like thaw it, make a pizza later. And I was like, cool, cool, this is great. So I bought two things of pizza dough, and I have like a wire rack in my freezer. Uh-huh. And I, when the dough was wet, I just kind of stacked the two bags on top of each other, and I thought, oh, they'll just no, they sunk they like into the it. shelf and froze oh, no. around the shelf, and it was. <laughs> such a nightmare I literally like had I was trying to take like a washcloth and dip it in like hot water and like warm up part of it now my freezer's open I'm like trying to take everything out so I can get this dough off of the freezer so I googled that to try to find help and funnily enough no one else has done this dumb mistake or at least from what I could find on google there was no resources for me so I just had to figure this out on my own Oh my God! Wow, that wow, that is really exciting. Was there good results? Did you get it off? Uh, eventually, I with a lot of hot water and a lot of just like pulling of like ripping of it. I did, I did get it off, but it it was like a it was a challenge. It took quite a while, and I think some things definitely thawed while I had my freezer open. Wow, that is so funny. Um, also hilarious that literally nobody else in the world has done this. I was like really, really hoping someone else would have been like, oh man, yeah, I did that. Like Google, you find everything on there. And I have been, I think the only person across history who has created this problem for themselves thus far. That is so, so funny. Um, (laughs) sometimes I wish that like Yahoo Answers was still used incredibly frequently. So you, so that question could be like um archived in history 
Yeah. I think it, yeah. Because if anyone ever else, if anyone else ever does this, I do have some tips and tricks. Um, you should make a Reddit thread just for that. Just I, to, you know, I, I could. Yeah. I did take photos. I did take a video um, as well of my struggle. I will not be sharing that. Ample <laughs> documentation. I mean, she might be sharing it as a podcast promo at some point. Who knows? <laughs> That's possible. This um, is highly entertaining content we have here. Truly. Uh, so, how about you? I well, I have a, actually I have a real confession to make. Okay. Um, when Trump got elected president, I went kind of crazy looking for things that I could do to save the environment because I am incredibly worried about our detriment as human beings. And um, I switched from Google to, I think it's pronounced Ecosia. Mm. I think that's how it's pronounced. I've um, never heard of that. Okay. It's a search engine where um, every time you search, like, they plant trees. They plant trees for, like, certain numbers of searches. So it's very cool. I don't understand how it works. Um, but it's really cool. And they it's, a like, a environmentally, like friendly organization and they do a lot of stuff other than just plant trees but it is um my little way of contributing with every job search i do job search i'm not searching for a job with every internet search (laughs) that i do um so i haven't google searched anything this week but i did search on ecosia how can i view my search history on ecosia (laughs) so (laughs) that was what i ended up searching this week I didn't find an answer. Is this a pitch um, that we should be, like, using this Akosia? That sounds, like, Akosia sounds like a really, like, niche boutique that would be in, like, Portland. Like, I don't... <laughs> it really does. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, hey, if you want to use Akosia, like, please go for it. Um, and then we'll need to figure out how to do this segment in the future because... I'm... I'm wait, is there a reason that you won't use it. Google? No, I, I actually really like Google. Um, it's just if I search things through Ecosia, then, like, I'm contributing to environmental um, health. And it's not like – like, Google, I'm sure, does a lot of things for the environment, but it's not, like, the point of their search engine, which is, like, that's the whole point of Ecosia's search engine is, like, every – for, like, a certain number of searches that, that you do on Ecosia, they plant trees oh. um, across wow, the globe. Wow, that's really neat. How many yeah. searches? I would just search so many weird things so fast, so quickly, just to make a tree. Like, how many bizarre questions about like skin <laughs> disorders do I have to search in order for me to get a tree planted? Probably not that many, because there's a lot of there's just a lot of people that use it to help um, search. Let's take a little research break. Let's see. So, oh, so with with my history with Akoja, I can see here that oh. I've planted oh, a like, thousand like... four hundred and ten trees. Wait, what? No way. I that guess. is insane. I guess. Let's see. FAQ. Ecosia? How I don't understand how That's this what works. I was like Ecosia, Ecosia. I always say Ecosia, but Ecosia. I think it's Ecosia. 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 Cuz it's eco, no? <laughs> how many times Ecosia? You know what? Tune in next week, guys, and we'll let you know how they they work and how they function. I love it. Um but I do have to figure out how to find my search history on it. So I don't like change also, so I'm hesitant to adapt to this, but I do like trees. So, yes. you know, I, I think this is a something to look into. Yeah. Now that we've done our deep Google search diaries, shall we move on to the study? Photo yeah, absolutely. Today, Paula and I thought we would discuss some research from John Gottman. So, John Gottman, uh, I really... I found out about him. He's a researcher, and he does a lot of work on um, relationships. And I remember kind of falling in love with him. Um, I had read the book Blink, which is a like popular psych book by Malcolm Gladwell um, back in 2006, like a long time ago. Um, and he talks about his work. And John Gottman has done studies where he is able to predict divorce by doing analysis of conversations that like young newlyweds have um and he can within an with an hour of analyzing a husband and wife talking he can predict with 95 percent accuracy whether they're still going to be married 15 years later which is like um, crazy how quick that 
typically like people would have to like they think oh I have to look at you for like years and years and years on end to see like how the relationship functions and this guy's and even like couples therapist screw your job <laughs> let me get in there <laughs> even more interestingly um he they can do it with with only 15 minutes of analysis of conversation um talking about like a a topic of like a conflict for them they can predict that with 90 percent accuracy and this is assuming that um that like these folks continue to be themselves without re- recognizing like any issues in the relationship i think it I think it has to do with patterns. Uh, I think there's always, like, some flexibility in, like, learning. Um, but it has to do with patterns of communication that these couples have. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. So um, across um, – John Gottman has a pretty extensive um, history in research and has um, created the Gottman Institute um, where we had really reviewed a lot of um, some of their work because – uh, I remembered back in one of my classes in undergrad, I was introduced to the concept um, of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And Gottman has these like four horsemen of basically the divorce apocalypse. God, that sounds, that's just, it's very dark. Yes. Um, it's very dark, but I also kind of find it soothing. Um, so he basically identifies these four different um kind of communication patterns and instances that occur in relationships that are more often correlated with divorce. All right. Give them to me. Tell me what they are. Yeah. So the first horseman is criticism. So this is like criticism is attacking a person's uh, character or like kind of permanent aspects of them rather than attacking like a behavior or something they did oh so it's more of like a like a a comment on their morality almost yeah their morality or who they are um like if i were to say like you are a slut got it so like a a values a comment on their value system value system or just you know who they are as a character um so it's attacking them rather than attacking their behavior. So okay. if I were to say, like a, an example of a, a criticism would be you're lazy. Instead of me saying what what would be better would be to say like, okay, so I had asked you to, to clear the dishes um, and I would really appreciate it if you do that when you come home rather than leaving them because I feel frustrated when you leave them for me. Versus me saying you're such you're so lazy and you don't care about anyone but yourself. That's a criticism. So that's the for, that's the first horseman, um, just kind of a personal attack. And the second horseman um, is actually the single greatest predictor of divorce, according to Gottman's studies. These are this is kind of the the big red flag that they look for. In contempt, you assume a position of moral superiority over the other person. Got it. So this one is where there is a morality question. Um, Contempt. Wow. Like across time, there's been, you know, maybe contempt in a hierarchy from, you know, men towards women. Um, That's kind of, you know, the the stereotypical contempt. But it has to do with basically putting yourself on a higher plane than the other person. Like, wow, you're you're pathetic. Wow. 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 Contempt is, is uh, we are on different levels. I'm not seeing you as equal to me. Um, and I kind of just disregard um, some of the aspects of you and don't really have respect for them. Yeah. Wow. Um, whew. That's a tough one to digest as in general. Like, in, that makes me, like, look at all of my relations. Not that I'm a very contemptuous person, but, like, it does it – does, I can see how you can get there with somebody easily. Yeah. Um, and they, that's kind of the, the, how this happens is it, it, I think these kind of things happen over time. So if you're, they kind of say that they lead into one another. So if you're criticizing all the time um, and I'm always mm. calling you lazy, you don't do anything. And then I start to say you're pathetic and I think that you're kind of worthless. I do more than you, you, you know, yeah, you are not, contributing and so I that ends up kind of snowballing into me having these feelings of contempt and expressing them right um I think that ends up 
being this big kind of cycle and leads into some of the other the other horsemen um so also quick the... note about oops sorry no go ahead also quick note about contempt there was a 2015 study that showed that those who have more contemptuous relationships are also more likely to have weakened immune systems and suffer from cold and the flu that's just crazy man we are uh, just a bunch of cells that we don't even know what's happening inside our bodies sometimes that's so wild yeah I, I i felt that that was so interesting and i was like wondering like i feel that it has to do with like if you're in a contemptuous relationship so often you're just feeling like higher stress right. and higher stress leads to weakened immune systems yeah absolutely so. So what's the next one? It's, I think, I see here. Okay, so the next one is defensiveness. Ah, something I am incredibly familiar with. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's the definition they give for defensiveness? Self-protection in the form of righteous indignation or innocent victimhood in an attempt to ward off a perceived attack. In other words, a knee-jerk response to criticism that uses excuses to avoid the attack. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think we all know what it's like to be kind of in a corner and feel that level of defensiveness. I know that for me, this is probably the one that I identify with as like, I need to be most cautious of this because I yeah. can sense when I feel uh, attacked or um, mm -hmm. feel that someone is maybe criticizing me. I definitely could jump to getting defensiveness personally. Yeah. Um, so they... They say basically that when you are like moving to this defensiveness, what you're doing is that you're not really hearing what your partner's concerns are. Um, and you're, it shows that you're not really taking those concerns seriously. Yeah, that's really true. It's the, um, it's the responding to the reaction rather than the root of what's causing the behavior. Right. Absolutely. It makes it really difficult, I think, to hear to hear what's being said and to validate your partner. Um, and so instead of validating, you're just kind of escalating the argument into yeah. this kind of other space and sometimes shifting it back into them. So like an example would be um, if someone going back to the dishes again, if I said, you know, you're lazy and you didn't do the dishes and you, then your response might be, I had a long day. What did you do all day? And why didn't you do it? So right. then you wouldn't be hearing my concern and then it would just kind of like, it would just both be. They're just like two attacks. Like they're not even addressing the actual issue. Right. Right. And then the last one is. So the, the last one. Stonewalling, which is withdrawing, shutting down, refusing to engage in conflict um, or like a conflict discussion. Um, it's those, that evasiveness to avoid confrontation that conveys disappointment, disapproval, and separation. The um, quote-unquote, I'm out display. Yeah. Um, I think we've all been here, too, um, when a discussion or conflict is just, like, so overwhelming to you that you're like, I can't do this right now. Like, I got to go. The, the difficulty with stonewalling is that I think it can lead to to divorce when that ends up being your go-to for most conflicts. When most conflicts are too overwhelming um, to really talk them out and you continue to, you know, avoid them or like eggshell around them or really just not be able to hear each other in those conflicts, um, then you're not able to, you're not able to, to work them through. Yeah. Um, this actually reminds me of... <laughs> And um, so 90 Day Fiance is something that I have been watching because my parents watch it so much. I love 90 Day Fiance. Oh, my gosh. And so I like um, Chantal and Pedro are um, a couple that my parents have been following because they also have now their own show called The Chantal Show, which is literally just the like Chantal and Chantal's family and then Pedro. It's very, very funny. But they fight like all the time and they have like they have legitimate issue that they just haven't been able to get past the both of them and um Chantal I think she said she was like families fight and when you have to worry is when the fighting stops which is mm. very profound for somebody that uh truly doesn't seem to have it together in their relationship but I think that's like an interesting <laughs> comment on stone on stonewalling right it's like when you aren't 
engaging in that confrontation anymore. Like, that's it. You're you're done. Like, you're actually done. And that's right. Because stonewalling is moving towards like, you know, you're losing that sense of connection. You're you're separating. You're not supporting each other. And that's really the foundation of the relationship is being able to to support each other and be there for each other in these in difficult times. And when you aren't able to to connect on these things that that resentment builds and then kind of all of these horsemen continue to happen and um that ends up leading apparently uh through the research to greater likelihood of divorce right so then um i know that so gottman talks about uh why these horsemen happen like why this continues to happen in relationships um do you want to talk just a teeny bit about what that's about yeah so basically i mean this kind of this kind of happens when um, we're in a conflict and we sense like a, a, a psychological danger. Um, our sympathetic nervous system begins to react. Um, and that's what triggers that kind of like fight or flight instinct that we hear so much about. Um, and Gottman in particular has coined the term diffuse physiological arousal um, or DPA. And it refers to the physiological changes that are occurring within our body in these moments of tension. Um, And so some of those things are some things that like you or I would be able to directly notice or measure. Um, So these would be things like increased heart rate of over like 100 beats per minute. Yeah. Last week I had um, an argument with a friend and um, like I said my piece and then I wasn't expecting the response that I got. And when I got that response, um, this was like via text message, my I've never felt my heart rate increase the instant I I looked at my phone. I read the message and I like, I never, I've, I moved so fast to respond. My like fingers were typing with such aggression. I was sweating. Like my heart rate was like through the, I've never experienced that before in an argument. It was incredible. That, that's crazy. You've, You've never experienced that before in an argument? I don't think... Perhaps I've experienced it and not noticed it. But I, I think because it was a t- through text message, I was able to evaluate my, like, state because the person mm. wasn't in front of me. Right. Wow, that's really interesting. And yeah, yeah I... I know exactly those those feelings, and they're really tough when you're in them. When you know your heart rate's up, you're sweating. Um, the other noticeable one they know is like an increased body temperature, um, and other um, things in this um, diffuse physiological arousal that they talk about are some things that are kind of happening within our body, and so those are things like the secretion of cortisol oh, and catecholamine. Yeah. Yes. So these are stress hormones. Um, also, increase activity. In our amygdala, which is the fear yeah, center of the our brain. Yeah, our little al- brain almond. That's yes. What it, that's what the, it looks like, a little almond in your brain. The almond. Um, and also decreased frontal lobe activation, which is, this is the part of the brain. It's responsible for a lot of um, higher functioning things like reasoning, emotion, um, motor control, and language. Uh, all which are really important in a conflict. Right. So all of the things that you need to become and kind of be reasonable in a conversation when you're triggered flies out the window right and you're having increased fear response you're having increased stress hormones so these things are happening in your body and a lot of times i think um we may not we may not notice those but so we we go into dpa um and these like physiological responses can really make it difficult for us to focus um, and slow, really slow down. And so we become like hyper alert and hyper aware and maybe more reactive because we're in this kind of sense yeah. of phys- physically, like I need to preserve and keep my safety. And I, mm. and that sense that our bodies get into can make our thoughts and arguments become more disorganized. Right. And it makes it easier to kind of slip into those, those patterns of the, the horsemen. Right. Wow. Well, so I know that there's people that have perfectly happy relationships. Um, so there are, yeah, <laughs> there sure are, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, 
But so, like, I guess it begs the question of, like, how do people work through this? Like, what does it mean for our relationships? Are they just doomed and people just stay in something because they're in it? Or do, like, is there a way to actually have, like, some kind of functionality within your relationship knowing that these horsemen exist? I feel like that's, it's such an interesting, like, that's why I really, I think the Gottman study stuck in my brain because I was like, mm-hmm. wow, if there's, if there's this accuracy in predicting this, like, do we even have control? Um, is there any way that we can even stop this? Or is it like... So there's got to be some kind of way to mitigate these um, these four horsemen from being the default in your relationships. I am very happy to tell you that Gottman has also done research into this. And it is not all lost. We do have some Thank antidotes God. to the, the four horsemen. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely do. Um so, you know, as we had went through the four horsemen, the the first one that we had talked about is criticism and it's really funny because you had you had kind of noticed in even my statement and reframing, you had pointed out this I statement. Um and I know a lot of people who have worked with it in psychology or kind of know like basic psych, there's a lot of focus around um I statements and I think it's kind of coming back to how important these really are. So for Gottman the antidote to criticizing that other person is having this more gentle startup to to a conversation about something that you maybe are resentful okay. towards. So using the um, I statement, I so using, I feel this, um, and I would really appreciate it if you this absolutely rather than like you did this thing and that's terrible in general. Like just being very specific with how you feel in the moment and how that other person can help um can help prevent that feeling in the future right absolutely having these um these more concrete statements um instead of these accusations towards that person and again i think it's easy to slip into the accusations we're conditioned for that we see it in tv and we see Mm, it in relationships around us and it kind of usually generally seems to be the immediate reaction people say well that person's just lazy um, instead of saying, well, I feel really exhausted when I come home and, and see the dishes, it would be helpful if you yeah, do see, this thing. Yeah, see, that sounds thing. nice. Like, that makes me want to do the dishes for you, Taylor. Aw. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Paula. I really appreciate you hypothetically doing the Aww. dishes for me. See, that's, that, a thank you is also, I would assume that that also helps with, um, like kind of equalizing the situation, like showing that. It does. And I'm going to bring us to the next antidote with exactly that transition, Paula. So the the next one is the contempt. Um, contempt, again, was that really um, the biggest predictor, that, that hierarchy of um, I'm, you know, better mm-hmm. than you or you, you're lower than me, um, putting someone down. And so the the antidote to having contempt is building a culture of appreciation within oh, your relationships. That sounds so nice. Yeah. So it's, it's, and that's, I think it, it takes, um, I think it takes practice. Yeah. So it's really regularly making a point to express appreciation, gratitude, and, and affection um, towards yeah. your partner. So imagine like that boosts um, confidence and it also, it's that thing of like, I don't know, I, not that being in a relationship is means you're training a dog, but when you're training a dog, you do that positive reinforcement, right? And so when you see a behavior that you appreciate, like expressing that will only encourage further that behavior if the person does in fact love you and want to make you happy when they see that you are appreciating their actions there's a higher want to do those things and I think um an important part of this and it just this goes back to something that I hear people say all the time that really makes me sad um people often say I'm not going to say thank you for that behavior because I expect them to do that that's their job oh that's heartbreaking people say it to their significant others to their children to their parents like well it's mom's job to make dinner why would I say thank you to her that's what she has to do or it's his job to do his homework without uh like interrupting yeah it's his job to do homework without interrupting so I'm not going to say thank you to him for doing his homework quietly because that's what he needs to do um I think that having a culture of appreciation is something that you need to actively practice. That's so, so true. I don't know how, it's funny, um, I think, I think my partner literally all the time, and, um, 
mainly because like I don't know it's no I, I think it's no small feat to like constantly show up and be present and like kind and wonderful like that's actually very Absolutely. difficult to do like I know I come into places with a lot of shit and like leaving it at the door is a lot of work <laughs> um and so being able to for like I so I really do appreciate his like his presence and his ability to literally just be like oh yeah I'll come over for 10 minutes to say goodnight like I don't know that's like huge to me um and he was just like you don't need to thank me for this like this is just what I do and I and and but for me like it's actually so important for me to thank him not maybe not for him but actually for me like reminding myself of like humbling myself to be grateful for those things um is is very helpful um with my just mentality around the relationship not that it's bad but it encourages um how happy I am and redefines it for myself yeah that sounds like you have you guys have really been practicing this um and I think Gottman mentions and I find this I find this ratio incredibly daunting personally (laughs) um but he did say there is a five to one magic ratio which means like during an interaction that's a conflict you should have five positive interactions to every one negative interaction um and that's a predictor of success which seems really really tough to do in a time of conflict um yep like if there's like something happening in a relationship where you're not feeling good about it to be able to maintain that magic ratio of five to one is very daunting Oh my god, it sounds it sounds exhausting. I don't know if it's realistic, but you know, it's I think it's a magic ratio for sure because that magic number seems very yeah, very very, very tough certain. to attain. But Okay, so the next horseman is defensiveness. What can we do to help stop yes. from being defensive? So the defensiveness one again, I find this one maybe the most challenging to to remind myself to do in the moment, but um it's taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. Haven't we heard that since we were children to take responsibility for your part of the conflict? Right. You know, it's funny. I think that so much of um, people's hesitancy to take responsibility is because one, it, responsibility means ad- admitting that you might need to implement a change and change is really difficult for people. I mean, you said it at the very beginning of this episode that change is hard for you. <laughs> I hate change. Well, there you go. I hate change. So like that's one, but also <laughs> I think because we live in such a critical culture um, to to criticize yourself um, feels like you're like not participating in this like wave of self-love like and which is not necessarily true. Like growing as a person is highly a a way to give yourself love. Um, But I think that taking Mm. responsibility sometimes feels like you're beating yourself up, which I, I don't think that that's the way that taking responsibility will help you yeah and I kind of I kind of see it as um taking responsibility ends up you know it it admits fault and a lot of people don't want to lose that power of I'm right I'm doing things well um admitting admitting taking responsibility means humbling yourself and I think a lot of leaders Mm -hmm. have a hard time doing that sometimes definitely for sure I'm not not pointing at any leaders just there's I'm not referencing no. at any leaders no, no, no. of the American country. I would never, ever do no, no. that. You're speaking about leaders in general. Donald Trump. So, right, leaders in general that happen to be the president of our country <laughs> in 2020. So, um, yeah. in early 2020. Um, so, yeah, I think that I think that it is, it is really difficult to, to take responsibility because sometimes it reflects, like, you made a mistake and admitting the fact that you made a mistake is difficult. And I think the other part of this, and this is, I think, the most important part, is a lot of times our our part in a conflict is not at right. all intentional. Yeah. Um, I think so many times people have a hard time um, apologizing or taking responsibility because they didn't really, like, mean for someone to feel the way they felt about their actions. They don't feel like anything in their action was wrong and that may be the case maybe you didn't do something wrong but maybe what you did do resulted in someone else you know feeling something so you can even apologize that I'm sorry that what I did made you feel that way or I'm sorry that I didn't think about how you that might have made you feel that way that's a good one all right so the last one the last one is stonewalling stonewalling so how do we 
avoid that in our relationships. Yeah. So in order to uh, have an antidote for that, we want to practice psychological self-soothing. Okay. So what does that mean? (laughs) So I think it has to do with um, a lot of things like taking time to ourselves, um, taking a break and with an intention to return to the conflict. So kind of like when you start to feel those diffuse physiological arousal responses um, and you're getting, you're feeling that like tension in your body, that's when you take a break to be able to calm yourself down um, and then come back to it later. And with the intention of definitely coming back so you don't fall into that stonewalling pattern. Right. And I think Gottman talks about how um, breaks should really be at least 20 minutes to really give our bodies time to physiologically Mm -hmm. calm down. Um, And so this would be a time to kind of use all of the the coping skills that you build as an individual person. So like if doing yoga is your thing, if meditation, if a walk, if cooking or cleaning is your thing, like taking that moment to just do that self-soothing activity to get your like nervous system to calm and then you can be a little more reasonable in your discussion yeah absolutely it's really funny um they actually had one one study that they did where um so when they do when they were analyzing these couples so they do is a video record them and they're measuring like their um their heart rate and how much they're like moving in their chairs and they're kind of coding all these different things and they record this all on video so they had told couples while they were having their conflict discussion that they were having an error with their video equipment so they told them that's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) so they they told couples to just pause the conversation and just read magazines for like 30 minutes silently um and then they can resume once the video equipment uh is back in and they they were so much more positive and productive because they had yeah. actually self-soothed and calmed themselves down just by by reading and without mm-hmm. even knowing and intentionally doing that, just taking that kind of mandated break helped them be able to talk about these things more productively. This is something that um, I'm not very good at. I'm not good at taking a break from a discussion. I feel very much like a lawyer when I am arguing. <laughs> And I'm like, no, we're going to resolve this now because I am absolutely correct. And um, this is something that my partner is incredibly good at doing. And I will never, I will never forget. Um, We've only had one big argument. And um, it was like a really painful argument to have because it was coming from very, very like deep places in the both of us. Mm. Um, And I will never forget when he was like, okay, I think we need to stop talking about this. And that's when, one, I was like, I screwed up big time. Like, that was the moment when I knew when he was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I need a break. That I was like, oh, shoot. Like, that was on me. And then we, like, just talked about it the next day. And it was, like, it was all good. Like, we were able to, like, really resolve the fundamental problems and, like, get through it. But it was, if we didn't have that break, like, some real shiznis would have gone down that night like right not good like irreparable damage and he was good enough to notice that and I I feel like I need to that's something that I could definitely improve upon um in my relationship I fully get that too um I think that I have been in spaces I'm kind of similar to you in that like I want the conflict to be resolved. I can't, like, yeah. I can't leave this, like, tension out there. It makes me anxious. I sit there and think about it. Um, and not to make this very personal, but, like, even just with my mother, for example, my mother is, like, a person who, who when we get in a conflict, she's like, I need space. I can't talk to you right now. And I'm like, but I need to have this conversation. Right. Typically, when we take the space, it's better. Um, so much better. <laughs> we're able to come, but it's so hard when you're in that moment and your your heart right. rate's up and you want the other person to to understand. Yeah. Um, or you're just you're really like caught up in your emotions, and most of the time that's when it seems maybe most important to get our point across, and it right. seems like yep. we have to. That's also usually the worst time to get your point right. across. You're not gonna your arguments aren't gonna be as clear. And I think sometimes if I've ever said things that like I regret in arguments, it's when I'm in that state and when we probably should have stepped away from each other and then we went yep. too far. 
Yeah. I yeah, definitely. It's wow, it's amazing what happens when you can just calm your nervous system. And it's it's great now like learning about this has allowed me to realize that like um that it is a it's a literal like parasympathetic reaction that I'm having and being able to um have tools to deal with that. Um it's just it's making me not excited for conflict. Definitely not excited for conflict. But it's. I feel like I have some tools that I can use. Excited um, to practice navigating conflict. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And being like, being aware of my own like responses in conversation, like knowing what to look for and what to be aware of is really, um, it's exciting. It's kind of really yeah, exciting. I think that's a great point. It's um, and how do you stop this cycle? It has to do with attuning to yourself. Um, an, an understanding where you are, um, and then and then actively practicing kind of all of the those other strategies that we talked about, like the I statements and expressing gratitude and affection and appreciation. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But <laughs> if it can lead to like healthy relationships and like ones that like truly fulfill you, then I don't know. Sounds a little worth it to me. I think so. Um, I think an interesting point about all of this, too, and in my mind, I've applied it, I think, even as we had this conversation, Gottman's work um, focuses on marriage, but I like to I like to think of these horsemen as just relational pieces in general, because I, I kind of think that they would apply in other places as well. Absolutely. I definitely, like, I could have used so many of these tools in my argument with my friend last week. Like... <laughs> Absolutely. Like it's so because it's not like you don't just get heated in your marriage like you get no. heated in a lot of other relationships. And those I don't know, like, yes, marriage is fantastic. I'm sure I'm not married, but I'm, I'm sure it can be wonderful when it's wonderful. But like that's not the only important relationship that you have. And to be able to practice all of these things in your other relationships where you will inevitably have conflict is going to be like God knows that like I definitely want to be able to like be psychologically in check when I'm having a conflict with my boss like I don't want to like rip up that relationship um so like knowing how to navigate that conflict in that way is super helpful for all things I think yeah I agree I think even using like I think about how important I statements are like you're saying like on the job like if I go to my boss and say you always assign me to these cases versus I would really like to have a case that gives me the ability to do this because I'm looking to grow in this area. Um, yeah. Just the way the way that we say something is going to elicit a different response from that other person on the other end, and us practicing practicing kind of formatting our own selves is a sense of self care for us that we can manage our relationships better and a self care and a level of care for our relationships and what the yeah. other person on the other end is experiencing. Absolutely. That sounds that sounds like a plan to me. Um all right. So, shall we move on to uh can I be mean for a sec? Yeah. Yeah, let's uh so this is the part of the show where we are mean for just a sec. It's just a sec. It's not that long. It's just a sec. So um, I'm just going to I'm going to dive right in because this isn't going to be very long. Yeah, just a sec. I was doing uh, I am frustrated with the amount of studies that have been done tying LGBTQ people to mental health issues. Let me explain something. And I know I know everybody <laughs> is very concerned about all of the LGBTQ people. But as a member of the queer community, I must say that the majority of the reasons that there are mental health issues in the LGBTQ community is because we live in a culture that hates us and doesn't want us to be ourselves. And so that is the main reason why there, I, if, if you know what I if somebody wants to know, let me tell them. I'll tell them why. And it should be very simple. I feel like this is something that we should have already known. I don't really understand. And, like, I get it. Like, there was a time where, like, like 
there was a lot of homophobia and LGBTQ people were not accepted and they were like, oh, something must be wrong with them. And then they were trying to figure out if something was wrong with them by studying all these mental health things within them. But let me just say, right, let me just clarify this for everybody right now. Everybody that's listening, all those scientists that are doing these studies, let me clarify this. The reason that people in the queer community have mental health issues is because they are not accepted. They are not allowed to be themselves. They have been oppressed for years and years and years. And that is why that is my study. That is my peer-reviewed by many members of the queer community statement. Done. Amen. Man. Wow. Let it out. That is amazing to me how often queerness and mental health has been studied hand in hand. You know, I think that is a very important mean for a sec moment because I do think that it's like, oh, if you have, if you are identifying as this, you have greater risk for all of these things but yes you're saying it's it let me tell you why my friends <laughs> right and it's and it's true oh my god it is so awful it's like it's that thing of like you know my my grandmother god rest her soul she was my best best friend but when i was growing up she would always say do not date a person of color <laughs> and i would be like um i'm a person of color <laughs> like what what are we talking about? <laughs> and she was like, it's already hard. We don't want to make it harder for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I would respond with, well, let's think about who's making it harder for myself. If I was to do that, who would be making it harder? The people that think like you, that right. say don't do that. Like maybe if you just, you, maybe if you were the change you wanted to see in the world, then like a lot of these things wouldn't be in place. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you're saying, kind of tying. I, I feel that way about a lot of things. Like we talk about, you know, why people have greater, certain people have greater risk factors. And a lot of it comes down to like, so being black isn't always a risk factor for greater depression, right? Like it's yeah, j- just because you're black doesn't, it's not like a biological. It's not the cause. Yeah. No, right. It's, it's maybe it's the historic racism and it's the current racism and it's the current systems that come with that like such as the poverty and the lack of access to health so yes yes I think exactly what you're saying is it's really frustrating when you see that this thing is linked to this thing but it's really not it's the factors that are mediating it in between and influencing it that are what's what's causing the link between (sighs) mental health and this uh, these other minority yeah. sections. Oh, well, that was my that was my meme for a sec. I just had to I just had to get that one out. I think that that should be a preach for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> Word. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We really appreciate it. We appreciate um, you so much. Yeah, and we will see you next week. Have a lovely time evaluating your own um psychological interactions with yourself and other people yeah yeah you guys uh make sure to ward off that diffuse physiological arousal by taking space big words all right have a great week bye 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 guys study buddies was created by paula sanchez abreu and taylor collins our graphic design was done by monica ray summers gonzalez and our intro song was composed by singer songwriter caught in between You can follow Study Buddies on Instagram at studybuddies.com and email the show at studybuddiespodcast at gmail.com.